Welcome to About a Book, the podcast that tells the real story behind the world's most iconic books. Merry Christmas! My name is Jade and if this is your first time tuning in, welcome to the club. And if you are a seasoned listener, thank you so much. Now if you aren't in the Christmas spirit, fear not because this episode is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to be talking about the history behind Santa Claus and the history of Christmas as we know it today. So if there's any kiddos around, you might want to listen out of earshot. I'll give you a minute to grab some headphones or go somewhere else. Okay. I hope that was enough time. I don't want to be responsible for crushing any kids' Christmas dreams. So not much is known about the real Saint Nicholas, but what I did find out was pretty interesting. So the original Saint Nick was a Greek born in the late 3rd century in what is now known as modern day Turkey. He had really wealthy parents who were devout Christians and they spent their whole life helping the sick and needy. They had wanted a baby for many years, but with no luck. So when Nicholas was born, he was considered a miracle. They believed he was going to grow up and be of service to people. So they named him Nicholas, which means hero of the people in Greek. So the bishop in their town was actually Nicholas's uncle, and he recognised that his nephew didn't act like other guys his age. He wasn't entertained by worldly pursuits, and he was always just saying his prayers. So he suggested that he took Nicholas under his wing and trained him in the monastery. But soon, tragedy struck. As I mentioned, his parents did a lot of work with the sick, and they actually died helping people during a plague while Nicholas was young. So as I mentioned, his parents were pretty well off. So when they passed away, Nicholas inherited all their money, and he just wanted to make his parents, and Jesus, proud. So he used all of his inheritance to assist the needy, the sick, and the suffering. And when Nicholas was only 30, he became the Bishop of Myra, which was a small Roman town in Turkey, And he was referred to as the boy bishop because he was so young and hip. I bet all the women loved going to church on a Sunday, you know, to see him. Oh, Nikki, you're so fun. You're so fun. You blow my mind. Hey, Nikki. Okay, I'm really sorry for that. That was super cringe. Probably the cringiest thing I've done on this show. (laughs) So, you know, Nikki was happy. He was using all his fortunes to help people. And he was doing his bishop thing, getting all the ladies, I'm sure. But then the Roman Emperor Diocletian rises to power and he decides to ruthlessly persecute all Christians. So this was not a good time to be a bishop. Bibles were burned and priests were made to renounce Christianity or they'd face execution or jail. However, Nicholas, you know, being the true saint he was, he didn't want to deny his faith and as a result, he was imprisoned. It's pretty ironic that during this time, the jails were so full of bishops and priests and other Christians that there wasn't actually room for real criminals like robbers and thieves and robbers and thieves are the same thing. There wasn't actually room for the real criminals, so pretty counterintuitive, but whatever. So Nicholas spent seven years in prison, but he remained strong in his faith until the Roman Emperor Constantine ended Christian persecution with the Edict of Milan. And this was basically a document that permanently established religious tolerance for Christians within the Roman Empire. So all was good again, he could practice his religion. Nicholas was extremely popular during his lifetime because he is associated with many miracles. So much so that he was actually known as Nicholas the Wonder Worker. 
and St. Nicholas is the patron saint of sailors, merchants, archers, repentant thieves, prostitutes, children, brewers, pawnbrokers, unmarried people and students. So if you're looking for a spouse or you're scared you're going to fail Christmas exams, he's your guy. And just like our modern day Santa, as I said, he was very generous and he also had a habit of secret gift giving. So I'll tell you a quick story because I found loads and they're all really bizarre. So apparently there was this poor widowed man with three daughters and a taxman was coming to his house and since he couldn't pay the fine, the taxman was going to take all his possessions. But the man didn't have many possessions either. So he said he was going to come back and take his three daughters into prostitution. So the guy had to get his daughters married off really quick to save them. But back then you had pretty much zero chance of finding a man, especially so short notice, if you didn't have a generous dairy. And of course he didn't have money for a dairy either, so he was pure panicking. Now I'm panicking. Don't panic. No I am because I'm going to lose my job. So Nicholas heard about this man and you know, just being him, he wanted to help. So he dressed up in a disguise and during the night he left a sack of gold coins somewhere around the house. I think he threw them in the window, but you know, we'll never really know. And then he came back a second night and did the same thing. So then the third day, the dad was like, who is doing this? This is amazing, saving my daughters. So he actually stayed awake all night and hid to see who was leaving these bags of money. And sure enough, he saw Nicholas who made him promise to never tell anyone that it was him. But of course, this guy is a bit of a gossip and he told everyone in the town. So I'm sure Nicholas was in high demand. Apparently, he actually dropped the bags of money in their shoes and socks that were drying near the fire, and this is why we have stockings. That's also why it's apparently tradition to use oranges and chocolate coins as stocking fillers, as they are a reminder of the three round purses containing gold coins that St. Nicholas threw through the window. And this story is even weirder. So apparently three kids were traveling to Athens and they spent a night in the inn. But then the innkeeper killed them and was trying to pickle their bodies in this big barrel in the hopes of selling it off as pork during a famine. <laughs> what the heck? Anyways, Nicholas was just passing by the inn when his spidey, you know, saint senses started to tingle and he felt that he needed to go in. And then sure enough, he found the bodies. So he stayed awake all night and prayed over the bodies. And then miraculously, the kids came back to life. But I'm just wondering when they came back alive, were their bodies still pickled? Did they smell really bad? Was their body rotting? Were they like zombies? Was it even worth being back alive? I don't know. But apparently this is considered a happy story. That's just me after watching too much true crime. You know, I'm thinking of all the technicalities. <laughs> Rumor has it he also could calm storms and he once chopped down a tree that was possessed by a demon. Very strange. But sadly for everyone, Nicholas died on the 6th of December in the year... Actually, it doesn't matter. Let's face it. Who's going to know? If I say some random year, you know, no one's going to know anybody from that time. No one's going to know what happened. But anyway, he died on the 6th of December, a long, 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 long time ago. So he was buried in his beloved church at Myra. And by the 6th century, his shrine had become well known to everyone pretty much. And it is said that his bones oozed this pure blessed water called manna for, I think, six centuries, I read. And it was collected and used to bless people. Oh, that's just so gross. Like, gosh, like, who knows what's in that? Then at some point in time, Italian sailors, merchants, pirates, I don't know, the truth is kind of blurry, but I hope it's pirates because that sounds cool. But anyway, they stole some of his bones and brought them to Bari in Italy. And if you look at a map of Italy, Bari is like the heel part of the, you know, the boot shape. 
So that's just an idea of where he is. And this robbery actually greatly increased the saint's popularity in Europe. And Barry became one of the most creative pilgrimages and by the Renaissance, Saint Nicholas was one of the most popular saints in Europe. So was robbing sinful if it helped Christianity in the long run? You know, was it okay? Because, you know, they brought them to a church. So it's not like they just robbed them and sold them. Maybe they sold them to the church. Then is the church being bad? Okay, sorry, I went on a tangent there. Back to the story. Okay, so like many saints, his bones were then spread around and many countries claim to have his bones, but most of them haven't been tested, so who knows. But I think most of him is in Venice. But it's actually said that somebody dies every time the bones of St. Nicholas are disturbed. So you'd want to be careful. Rumour has it that some of his bones are actually buried in Ireland in Kilkenny. This isn't confirmed, but I really hope it's true. I hope we have Santa Claus, but probably unlikely. So his feast day is celebrated on the anniversary of his death, the 6th of December, and this is traditionally considered a lucky day to make large purchases or get married. And many European countries celebrate Christmas on this day, but more on that later. So after the Protestant Reformation, the devotion to St. Nicholas disappeared in a lot of Protestant countries around Europe, except for Holland, where his legend kind of persisted as Sinterklaas, which is the Dutch name for St. Nicholas. And then in the 17th century, when a bunch of Dutch people moved to New York, they brought this legend with them and it started to kind of be celebrated over there. And then the Americans couldn't really pronounce the Dutch version, so over time it became known as Santa Claus. So that's where the name comes from. So for many years, there wasn't one united image of what Santa looked like like there is today. One image described him as a rascal who wore a three-cornered blue hat, red waistcoat, red waistcoat, that's kind of hard to say, red waistcoat and yellow stockings. Tyra Banks would be rolling her eyes at that fashion faux pas. Honestly, that sounds like something like five-year-old me would wear when my mom told me I could dress myself. What was that guy thinking? And then the long poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas, or better known as The Night Before Christmas, is credited with creating many of the aspects of Santa and kind of popularized the gift-giving part of it. So it was published anonymously in 1823 in an American newspaper, and 14 years later, it was discovered that it was written by a man called Clement Clark Moore. And he wrote the story for his three daughters at home just to read them before Christmas. And he didn't really think it was high literature. So he didn't want to submit it to these magazines, even though his friends were urging him to. But, you know, he still insisted he didn't want to. And then his friend just kind of went behind his back and got it published anyway. <laughs> But Clement Clark Moore didn't actually make up everything that's in the poem and many of the traits we know about Santa are actually taken from mythology and folklore. So for example, the Norse god Odin would visit people in their homes by entering through the fireplace or, you know, whatever they had in those days, the equivalent of a fireplace. And then the flying reindeer is actually a Dutch thing. So, you know, after this poem, Santa Claus is kind of in the mainstream. And then a American political cartoonist called Thomas Nast made a cartoon of Santa Claus for a newspaper all the way back in 1863. And he kind of created the Santa suit that we know today. And there is a well-believed myth. In fact, I believed it before I started working on this podcast, so I'm not shaming anybody, that Coca-Cola created Santa's image of the red suit way back in the 1930s. But this is fake news. <laughs> it actually appeared red in many publications and advertisements way before that. They weren't even the first fizzy drinks company to advertise Santa. People were doing it with like fizzy bottled water and like ginger beer way before that. But honestly, convincing the world that you created Santa is probably one of the greatest advertisements of all time. So, you know, like everything, Santa became more commercialized and before you know it, somebody, you know, thought of the idea that elves would be working on a conveyor belt and it just all became about the gifts. 
And the tradition of visiting Santa in shops goes way back too. For example, as far back as 1841, thousands of children visited a Philadelphia shop to see a life-size Santa model. And soon enough, other shops caught on to this idea and every kind of shop you could go visit Santa in. So I'm really surprised that tradition goes back that far. I thought that was kind of recent, you know, when shopping centres became a thing. And then the candy cane actually comes from St. Nicholas. It's supposed to be like his staff that he had. So that's where that comes from. I personally don't like candy canes. I think they're really gross, but I think they're really pretty. So I buy them anyway, but then I don't eat them and then they go all sticky. I don't know. So, you know, countries all around the world have their own versions of Santa. In Scandinavia, they have a jolly elf that would deliver gifts in a sleigh drawn by goats. And in Russia, it is believed that an elderly woman called Babushka purposely gave the wise men wrong directions to Bethlehem so that they couldn't find Jesus. But later, she felt so remorseful and she couldn't find the guys to apologise. So to this day, on January 5th, Babushka visits Russian children and leaves them gifts beside their beds in the hopes that one of them is baby Jesus and that shall be forgiven. And then in Italy, I've heard of this one before because my family have a little decoration of it, but um, there's a similar story that there's a friendly witch called La Bafana and she leaves sweets in your shoes. Apparently she even does some sweeping up and some housework if you're good. In 1912, the first Santa Claus film premiered and there has been countless ever since. My favourite is the Tim Allen one where he knocks Santa off the roof and kills him so then he has to take Santa's job and he's like totally unprepared and it's very funny. But um, yeah, what's your favourite? Let me know. I mean, you can't tell me right now, but you can message me it on Instagram at aboutabook.podcast. Ooh, that was a smooth plug. Oh, I also forgot to mention, so St. Nicholas's feast day is the 6th of December, but where did the 25th of December come from? Well, this is really crazy, but in ancient Rome, they had celebrated a festival called Saturnalia from around the 17th of December to around the 25th, and they would feast and have a parties and then they would pick one poor soul as the Lord of Misrule. And this was a Roman that would kind of represent the enemy in all the bad things that happened that year. And he would join in all the festivities. He would drink all the wine, have all the food he wanted, all the jewels, all the women. And then at the end, they would butcher him and sacrifice him to the god Saturn, who was the god of agriculture and wealth and a bunch of other good things. And apparently by sacrificing this poor person, it would bring them luck for the next year. Honestly, that sounds like a purge type of thing. I can't believe this actually happened for hundreds of years. And the Romans also used to decorate their houses during this time with trees, so that's kind of where Christmas trees come from. But when the first Christian emperor, Constantine, came to power, he didn't want people celebrating this pagan festival. So he made the 25th of December about Jesus' birthday. So this is kind of like, you know, helping a gradual transition, gradual kind of conversion. Like, you can still have your parties, just... Don't be sacrificing anybody. <laughs> so that's pretty much how Santa came to be and Santa and all his variations and the origin of a few Christmas traditions. Something a little bit different. I had so much fun researching it. So I hope that got you into the Christmas spirit a little bit. I know we ended by talking about murder, but try not focus on that. <laughs> and don't go sacrificing anybody this Christmas either. A turkey is bad enough. But before I let you get back to the festivities, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening in and making this podcast part of your 2020. I didn't think anybody was really going to listen to it or care and I was really nervous making it, but I have received so much support and so many kind messages and it just means the absolute world and it's so encouraging. I absolutely love producing the show and it's absolutely the highlight of my 2020. 
and hopefully this is only the beginning. I have so many ideas coming your way and how to come back bigger and better. And of course, if you have any suggestions for the show or for future content, let me know on aboutabook.podcast on Instagram. I hope you all have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and it seems only fitting to sign off with the famous words of Clement. Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Bye!